Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for ASHP's Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about their professional path, lessons learned, and how their experiences shaped who they are and where they are today. My name is Ellie Degani, and I'm a fourth-year pharmacy student from the University of Colorado Skag School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. Today, we will be chatting with Dr. Carolyn Seiss, Director of Rutgers Pharmaceutical Industry Fellowship Program, and Dr. Amy Sheehan, Director of Purdue University College of Pharmacy Postgraduate Industry-Affiliated Fellowship Programs, about attending mid-year as a prospective industry fellow. Thanks for joining us today. To start us off, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your position? For this question, we'll start with Dr. Seiss and then hear from Dr. Sheehan. Absolutely. Thank you. I am a proud alum of the Rutgers School of Pharmacy. Long time ago, uh, I lost count, but I got my Bachelor of Science and PharmD, both from Rutgers. Um, and then immediately did a postdoctoral fellowship with Rutgers and with Bristol Myers Squibb at the time. Um, it uh, what it really gave me my start in the pharmaceutical industry. And afterwards, I uh, worked for the same company that I did my fellowship with, and started really my twenty-five plus year career. Um, both at large pharma, small pharma, mostly in medical information, but halfway through changed over to regulatory advertising promotional review. And about three years ago, decided that I would take everything that I had learned over my career path and bring that back to the program that gave me my start. And about three years ago, I started leading the fellowship program at Rutgers as the director um, and have really enjoyed and been humbled by the opportunity to help build the foundations of the future leaders of tomorrow. And so it's just, it's been great. Thank you for having me here today. Thanks, Carolyn. Um, my background is a little bit different. Um, it, my background's in drug information and hospital pharmacy. I received my bachelor's and PharmD degrees from the University of Cincinnati in Ohio. And I did my residency training at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. I have been a faculty member at Purdue University College of Pharmacy for 25 years, uh, teaching drug information and evidence-based medicine topics in the classroom, as well as precepting students, residents, and fellows on a drug information rotation in conjunction with Indiana University Health. And I served as the fellowship program director for our FDA-affiliated fellowship since 2003, but then more recently, I've taken on the leadership role um, for all of Purdue's industry-affiliated fellowship programs. Great. Thank you both for your introductions. Can you talk a little bit about your role within the recruitment process as a fellowship program director? For this question, we'll start with Dr. Sheehan and then hear from Dr. Seiss. Sure. So uh, Purdue University currently has um, a total of 23 uh, first-year and second-year fellows within um, three distinctly different programs. 
And I know we're um, probably um, a smaller program compared to what we'll hear from from Dr. Seif. <laughs> Within our program, we have um, FDA-affiliated programs with tracks in drug information, medication safety, and drug advertising and promotion. We also have uh, several fellowship tracks in collaboration with Takeda Pharmaceuticals, representing you know a large pharmaceutical company. And then finally, we have uh, three tracks within a smaller clinical stage um, biotech company known as Cerebell Therapeutics. Uh, Each one of our programs has a dedicated Purdue faculty mentor to guide professional development of the fellows within that program. And then my role as the director is to kind of oversee the professional development events for all the fellows, as well as oversee um, all of our recruitment efforts, which include, you know, application timelines, recruitment materials, social media outreach, and and webinars, et cetera. And thanks, Amy. Yeah, our program is just a little bit bigger. Um, Our current count is about 350 fellows across 27 different partner companies. So as you might imagine, it is my role is is really first and foremost an orchestrator to make sure that we've got good process in place, that people are um, informed, that everyone knows their roles and the rules of the road, and we're aligned on our objectives. Um, and and then the the search for talent begins. Um, we had a super successful um, fellowship information networking day very recently. Um, we actually realized that we need next year to increase the size of our platform because we kind of ran out of registration seats. Um, that had never happened to us before. And then also we crashed the internet when people were registering for networking. So we have bolstered, we work very closely with our website partners and we bolstered our server support. Um, we do not anticipate crashing again on October 6th when our application site opens. But as you can imagine, there are a lot of pieces that play into um, the recruitment experience, both to make it an efficient and positive one for our for ourselves, for our fellows, for our preceptors and companies, but also a positive experience for our candidates um, because we want them to have a good learning experience through the process as well, regardless of outcome. Thank you both for sharing. I think your perspectives as fellowship program directors will be very valuable to students who are listening to today's podcast. What are some of the benefits of attending mid-year as a prospective industry fellow? And for this question, we'll hear from Dr. Seiss. Yeah, you know, I know it's been a point of conversation lately. um, And I know every candidate kind of watches the programs and tries to figure out, do I go? Do I not go? What do I do? Those are very individual decisions, right? And, And I think certainly cost is a factor that needs to be considered. But it's not a sole factor. And I think that as people are are deciding whether they are interested in attending mid-year or not, I kind of go back to my experience interviewing back in the day when it was required. Um, And, you know, we, I I actually, I went down, I'll tell you a story. I went down to mid-year solely for the mid-year experience. I was actually presenting a poster of my thesis research, the study design. 
Um, and I just happened to find out that there was a fellowship that I was interested in while I was down there. So sometimes opportunities can present themselves, but I think also just from a planning perspective, as folks are, are weighing what they, what they do or don't want to do, you know, think about the networking opportunities, the learning opportunities, and, you know, certainly pay attention to whether a fellowship program is requiring you go to mid-year or not. Everyone is going to be different. Um, I will just say, because I know everyone's wondering the question, for Rutgers, we don't require it. But if you're down there and you're one of our top candidates, we'd love to talk to you. Um, and so, you know, you think about that co the, the cost and benefit to you as an individual and you make that decision that works for you. Great. Thank you so much. Can I just add one more thing? And I, I just, as a candidate, you know, I think attending in person and meeting people in person that you might be spending the next couple of years with can give you a, a layer of really rich information that can help you make a decision if you're deciding between options. So just additional food for thought. Sorry. No, that's great. I think it's, it, you allude to the um, opportunities for networking, um, which I think is a, a great opportunity for students who are attending mid-year. That leads me to my next question. Um, how can a prospective fellow best prepare themselves for mid-year? And for this question, I'd like to hear from Dr. Sheehan. Sure. So I think um, in order for a, a prospective candidate to get the most out of mid-year, they really um, have to spend significant time preparing uh, prior to the meeting so that they have a specific plan um, for what they want to accomplish. The mid-year meeting can be very intimidating, especially for first-time attendees. So I would suggest reviewing the meeting schedule, uh, review the convention center layout in advance, you know, figure out how long does it take to get there from, from your hotel, um, make an agenda for which events you want to attend. And most fellowship programs uh, conducting interviews at PPS will have their interview schedule finalized in advance of the meeting. So you, you will want to be reaching out to those individuals or programs that you want to connect with uh, far in advance. I'd also say um, pack professional attire that is also comfortable. Um, the days will be uh, very long and the last thing you want to experience is having a blister from a, a new pair of shoes. You also want to prepare and, and sort of practice your elevator pitch or how, how will you introduce yourself and present your work um, to others during interviews and also um, when you're meeting new people and networking. If you are presenting a poster, similar to what Dr. Seiss mentioned, you'll definitely want to you know, rehearse your content, prepare for questions that, that may arise. And then I would also say... Um, it's important to allow times for breaks, time for a break, time to set aside to relax, regroup, and um, try to plan to do something fun when, when you're there in Anaheim. Thank you so much for your advice. I think these tips will be very helpful for myself and other students as we prepare for mid-year. What role does Personnel Placement Services, or PPS, play in the fellowship recruitment process? 
for this question, I'd like to hear from Dr. Seiss and then um, from Dr. Sheehan as well. Sure. And, you know, I think, let me preface it by saying that I think, again, every every program is going to use PPS differently just based on where we are post-pandemic. Um, you know, I will say you've probably heard stories about what it used to be like pre-pandemic where, you know, it was a madhouse of interviewing nonstop from sun up to sundown and at least from a Rutgers perspective, lines to schedule interviews that went around the block. Um, can't say I miss that stuff, um, but I do think that, um, you know, PPS is a really good central meeting place for the programs that are there that candidates can use to network with the folks that they want to network with. So I, I agree with what Amy said before. I think a big thing is identifying who you want to talk with while you're down there and then reaching out and setting up that time in advance. Um, I think some programs may, I heard rumor, may have actual final interviews during ASHP at mid-year. Others may not be final, maybe formal interviews, maybe informal discussions. Um, for Rutgers, it would most likely be informal discussions. Um, but regardless, those are really positive um, interactions with which you get additional information to help you just kind of make decisions about your future career path. Amy? Yeah, I would say um, similar to what doc Dr. Seiss said um, for Purdue, the specific role that PPS plays is really um, varied based on each of our specific program tracks. So um, we do have um, one of our um, Tracks with Takeda, they're conducting multiple rounds of interviews um, at mid-year in, in the PPS. Uh, we have another track that is only going to be um, performing their final round of interviews at PPS. And then um, we also have, uh, have um, other tracks that prefer to conduct all of their formal interviews remotely and then reserve kind of the PPS and mid-year meeting as this opportunity where we can um, meet with our top candidates in person and network in a, in a more informal way. So I think that, um, you know, whatever programs that you're interested in, it would be um, beneficial to find out, you know, inquire what, what is the role of PPS? Is it, is it required or not? Um, and what you can expect when you get to mid-year. It's so interesting to hear how PPS has evolved over the years and also how unique it is um, for each program. That transitions nicely into my next question, which is what can a student expect during a PPS interview? We can hear from Dr. Sheehan first and then from Dr. Seiss. I think that uh, one of the things that candidates should expect and be prepared for is that um, they may be interviewed by more than one representative from a company at a time. Sometimes I hear from students um, that it was very stressful to be sitting across the table from three um, representatives from the company. So, um, you know, don't, don't be surprised if you find yourself in that situation. The uh, interview questions can vary from kind of the standard, tell me about yourself, to much more um, complex and situational types of questions. Uh, most interviewers, they want to hear about your experiences and how you have, have managed or would manage a stressful situation or overcome an obstacle. So 
I would say be prepared for questions that may start out like, tell me about a time when you experienced a conflict or some other obstacle and describe how you manage that situation. I also think that it's a good idea to be knowledgeable about the company or the program that you're, that you're interviewing for. Um, and that goes back to what we talked about previously with preparation. And then um, finally, I would say um, come with questions to show your interest because every program interview will end with, with the interviewers asking, do you have any questions for us? And so you definitely um, want to show your interest and have something uh, prepared. I think Dr. Sheehan covered that really well. Um, I think the only thing that I would add is remember when you're approaching these interviews, yes, you are trying to let them know why they want you for that role. You are positioning yourself, marketing yourself for that role, but you're also trying to gain information as well and trying to understand what their expectations are, is that going to be a culture that works right for you, um, really information that, that's going to be useful to you in your own decision making. And so it is a two-way street, and you should be ready to treat the conversations that way, be they formal interviews or, or informal discussions, or, or even just, a, you know, networking outside the context of the PPS as well. Great. You guys both provided great insight. And I think this gives students a good idea of what to expect as they prepare for mid-year. At this point, I think you both have provided great insight on how to successfully prepare for mid-year and what to expect during a PPS interview. Now I'd like to talk about another component of the fellowship interview process. Although not all programs require it, I know some companies have candidates give a final presentation. What are three things that you think are important for an applicant to consider when creating a final presentation? Dr. Seiss, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I don't know if I'll stick at three, but, um, but you know, I look, I think first think about the content that you want to present, right? Because you, if, if possible, if it could be relevant to the area that you're looking at, I think that that's helpful. Um, but sometimes if you get a little too relevant, it might be a little too controversial and you might be testing yourself a little too much. And so just think about, you know, the, the folks in the room that you're presenting to are going to be experts in the topic. And so make sure that you feel comfortable about the content that you're presenting, that you feel like an expert as well. And never hesitate to, you know, ask questions and, and engage your audience as well. Part of the reason that they're, they're asking for a presentation is to really get a sense for your communication skills and presentation skills. Um, and so it's, it's a good surrogate marker for, is this person going to be comfortable speaking in large settings, con contributing in meetings, et cetera. So make sure though, that your slides are clean, that your presentation skills are really good, that you're watching those filler words and not using them, the ums and the ahs, um, be a little comfortable with some silence as well right? Some silence when you present is actually a good thing because your mind is going faster than your audience's mind. And so give them a chance to catch up to you. Um, and that can actually be a sign of confidence. Um, and make sure that you are answering questions well, and that if you don't know the answer to the question, don't, don't fake it till you make it. 
let them know you'll research it, and then definitely, definitely get back to them. You touched on a lot of great points, and I like how you recommended um, engaging with your audience throughout your presentation. On a similar note, um, Dr. Sheehan, I would love to hear your perspective on what stands out to you most when listening to a candidate's final presentation. Sure. I think um, aside from the correct content and strong presentation skills and, you know, all of the, the factors that Dr. Seiss mentioned, I am most interested in how the candidate answers questions. Um, I think it's one thing to deliver a well-polished presentation, but it's most important to be able to respond to questions in, in a logical manner to display that you do have in-depth knowledge of the content. And um, usually that's when I'm making my decisions about a candidate is um, how they respond to the the questions that I ask. So I guess that just being prepared and fully understanding your content. Thank you so much. That's very helpful. And it's great to hear your perspectives on how candidates can develop and deliver a successful presentation. Can you tell us a little bit about receptions that occur at mid-year? Dr. Sheehan, we can start with you for this question and then hear from Dr. Seiss. Sure. Um, so receptions are, are a way for, for programs to get to know you a little bit better on, um, in an informal setting and also give you an opportunity to find out more about the program. Um, some receptions will be solely for fellowship candidates. Others, um, for example, um, our reception for Purdue University programs, we are um, in conjunction with uh, Butler University and the Indiana Pharmacists Alliance. So it's a very huge gathering with a lot of different people there. And so it's a good time for you to maybe meet other personnel or maybe there were preceptors that you didn't meet at PPS. It gives you an opportunity to talk more with the program's current fellows. So you could ask them questions that maybe you don't feel comfortable asking in front of um, the program director. And um, one thing I would say is just remember that uh, even though it's an informal setting and um, there's going to be alcohol and, you know, lots of um, lots of opportunities to overindulge, um, just make sure that, that you remember that you're still being evaluated during that entire time and, and program directors are, you know, evaluating how you are, um, how you act in the social setting. And I think I'll just add that, um, you know, these are, again, opportunities for that continued information gathering on both sides, you know, and I think, it's also an opportunity to get an additional feel, particularly for culture. Um, you know, we spend more time with our work than we do our personal lives. And so you want to make sure that you enjoy getting along with the people that you work with. And this is a good information gathering point for that. I, I agree about the alcohol point. Um, you know, don't treat it like a Christmas party. And it's not, you know, not an opportunity to to, to double fist. Um, I, know, I know college is college, but this is serious. But, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, it's an opportunity to have conversations in a more relaxed setting. Don't be concerned 
overly concerned or anxious about getting invited to receptions, whether or not you come to reception or invited to a reception, that probably is an indicator of how high up or not you are in a consideration process, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get an offer. And it also doesn't mean you're not going to get one if you don't get one. Um, so just enjoy the opportunities that you have. If you're invited to multiple receptions, my advice is to try to attend the receptions that you're that you're interested in. And you know, if you feel as though any individual reception were pressuring you, keep that in mind as a potential indicator of maybe culture of that of that uh, of that program or company. Um, I will tell you from a from a Rutgers standpoint, our receptions have changed quite a bit since the pandemic. So it used to be just candidates and preceptors. Um, we actually in include students in our receptions as well um, for uh, part of our outreach. Um, and so it is quite a bright, a, quite a broad audience now. And I will say this year too, um, it looks like some of our partner companies will have their own receptions. Um, not all. And so again, do not be concerned if you're not invited because it might not exist. <laughs> Thank you both for sharing. It's helpful to hear about these opportunities and the purpose of them. I know Dr. Seiss touched on it a little bit, but Dr. Sheehan, I would love to hear your thoughts on how students should navigate if they are invited to two receptions that are scheduled for the same time. Yeah, well, first I would say congratulations, um, because if you are invited to a reception, as Dr. Seiss said, that means you're being considered as a finalist or, you know, you're in the top tier of candidates. So it's a good thing. Um, secondly, I would say then just be transparent and communicate that you have another reception to attend that's scheduled at the same time. And that way, the program knows that you have another obligation. So if you're leaving their reception early, it's not because you're not interested in their program. They know that, that you're going to um, another uh, reception. You could also um, consider asking, you know, the timing of events. Is there going to be um, some type of speaker or event that everyone, you know, you would make sure you definitely would not want to miss? And then maybe you can time, uh, plan your time around that. And I would also say if you're no longer interested in a program that has invited you to a reception, then it's best just to inform them, um, again, being transparent that, you know, thank you, but you're pursuing other opportunities. Thank you for that. From uh, speaking to previous applicants, I've heard that this can be a challenge, so I appreciate you sharing your advice on how to best approach the situation if it does occur. It looks like we have time for one more question. From your perspective as a fellowship program director, what advice would you give to fellowship applicants who are attending mid-year? For this question, we'll start with Dr. Seiss and then hear from Dr. Sheehan. Thank you. I, um, I think my top message and, and this, I want this to land right, is to enjoy the experience. Um, I know that it's a very stressful time, and I know that it feels like the rest of your life weighs in the balance, but it really is a next step in your career. So yes, it's an important and critical step, but try to take whatever nervousness, anxieties you may have about what's to come and channel that into 
activities and, and moving things forward and doing everything in, in your power. Um, these, these can be, you know, selecting talent for the fellowship program can be a very difficult process and oftentimes comes down to very fine decisions where you're choosing between the best and the best. Um, and sometimes it's, it's very small things that can weigh the balance one way or the other. Um, I, I will just say, I found out years after that I was the second choice for my fellowship. And so, you know, just stay in the process and until you know where you are and, and, and do everything that you can to support your candidacy, but, but enjoy the process as well right? Because you ultimately are going to walk away regardless of what happens, whether you land a fellowship or you're looking for an alternative path into the industry, um, you're going to learn a lot about yourself in the process. So there is value in it for everybody who's participating. Yeah, I would totally agree with all of those comments that um, that Dr. Seiss provided. I think the the only thing that I would add as a closing thought is um, don't forget that you are also interviewing the specific programs. So you're trying to um, interview them as much as they're interviewing you. And so keep in mind, it's a two-way street. And um, good luck to all of the prospective fellowship candidates out there who are listening. Thank you so much for sharing. I know this will be a valuable resource for prospective industry fellows. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Dr. Carolyn Seiss and Dr. Amy Sheehan for joining us today and sharing some great advice on how students can successfully navigate mid-year and PPS. Join us here at ASHP Official and the Practice Journeys podcast as we learn how our members seek out, grow, and evolve during their careers. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.